Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure uh, that you do, would you please take them out and go to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If you'll go there, please, there in the Old Testament, as today um, we continue our series on this uh, great book, uh, Ecclesiastes, Life Under the Sun. Now, before uh, we dive into our text this morning, I do want to say just a couple of things. Um, uh, Number one, I just want to let you know this. Uh, This past week, I was able to spend uh, two days uh, on the campus of Truett McConnell University up in Cleveland, Georgia. Uh, Truett McConnell is one of the three um, Georgia Baptist universities here in uh, our state. And uh, I just want to let you know that uh, if you are a parent and you are thinking about where to send your son uh, or your daughter, I would like to tell you this, that Truett McConnell would be a great place to send your son or your daughter. Let me tell you why. Um, there, your son or your daughter, they will be, they will be equipped to fulfill the Great Commission. Amen? Uh, they are going to be equipped to fulfill the Great Commission, and in whatever field of their study, they are going to learn a biblical, Christ-centered worldview. Amen? And I don't know about you, as mom and dads, there, there is nothing greater than having our sons and our daughters be taught a biblical Christ-centered worldview. Obviously, it is, it is my prayer, my hope that you are starting that already in your son or your daughter. Studies will say that by the time your son or your daughter e- reaches the age of 13, their worldview is already in place. So that means we have some work to do with our sons and our daughters, but if you're thinking about college, Truett McConnell is a great place uh, to send your son uh, or your daughter. Second thing I want to say is uh, a big thank you to Britton Johnston for uh, leading the charge in our marriage conference that took place yesterday, and that has been uh, Britton's dream, and he did a fantastic job uh, leading that. Let's give him a round of applause for leading that. Also, I want to say a big thank you to uh, Ethan Floyd for preaching uh, for me uh, last uh, Sunday. I was able to watch the service, and Ethan did a, a fabulous job on a, on a very difficult text, and I was uh, uh, impressed with his preaching, but I was more impressed uh, with his style of clothing. So much so that I thought about wearing white shoes when I preached this morning, but uh, um, I decided against that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just forget it or go watch last week's message. That will be okay. But, but I do, seriously, I'm so thankful for our 20-somethings that are on our staff. I really, really am grateful for them. Can we give Britton and Ethan a round of applause? Can we do that? Thank you. Thank you. Well, M. Scott Peck, who is the author of the 1978 uh, best-selling book, The Road Less Traveled, said this. Life is difficult. Would you agree with that statement? I think we'd all agree with that statement that life is difficult. Then the great theologian, yes, there you go, there you go. (laughs) The great theologian, John Wayne, everybody's favorite theologian, he said this, life is tough, but it's much tougher if you're stupid. I think that's pretty good right there. Charlie Munger, who is the current vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, said this about life. It's not supposed to be easy. 
Anyone who finds it easy is stupid. Wow. Now, I know right now some of you are mad at me because I said the word stupid. And you are upset at me, and I will agree with you that that word is not the best of words. It is not a classy word. Uh, My mom's told me never to say that word. Well, I'm going against my mom's advice this morning, and I've titled today's message, The Road Less Stupid. (laughs) There's supposed to be shock value in that title, just want to let you know. But The Road Less Stupid. And let me tell you why I titled the message this way. Number one, all of us in this room have all paid a dumb tax before. Anybody know what a dumb tax is? It's when you make a dumb decision and you have to pay the consequences of that dumb decision. Anybody in this room know what I'm talking about this morning? You've paid the dumb tax. Uh, Kevin Cunningham who is the author of the book, The Road Less Stupid, which is where I pulled the title from, um, is a leadership book that I've been reading through over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Kevin Kevin Cunningham said this, the key to great leadership is to avoid doing stupid things. Not the need to do more smart things, I just need to do fewer dumb things. Would you agree with that? Just if we would stop doing those dumb things, we would be so much better. Uh, Kevin Cunningham goes on to say this, and I think this is, uh, this is hilarious. I think it's beautiful. He says, I have yet to wake up in the morning and say to myself, okay, Keith, today is the day that you're going to permanently mess up the rest of your life. Today, you will do some things that will have catastrophic consequences for, to, for decades to come. Today is the day you will not use your best ideas. You won't even use your second best ideas. No, today is the day that you will use your third or fourth best idea. I think that's great because when you use your third or your fourth best idea, guess what? Dumb tax will be paid. We've all paid the dumb tax before. And let's be honest, it's painful that relationship that you got into, that business agreement that you got into, that situation that you put yourself into that you knew was not right, and you knew it, and you did it anyways, and you had to pay what? The dumb tax. That's the first reason why I've titled the message The Road Less Stupid. And secondly, here in the book of Ecclesiastes, In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Solomon is going to tell us how we can avoid the dreaded dumb tax. He's going to give us some words of advice. Now remember, he's talking to an assembly. Solomon is the Koheleth, the preacher, the teacher we learn about in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. And so uh, the Koheleth, the teacher, has called an assembly. And we know from scholars that this assembly was probably the young men who were trying to make a name for themselves, who were trying to earn more money, who were trying to lead their families in the ways of the, of the Lord and in the ways of the world. And so Solomon Solomon calls them together and says, let me share my story with you. And what a story Solomon has. The richest, the wisest man to ever live, but he went through a tragic fall. And then he comes to the end of his life and he says, men, I want you to listen to me. 
And I want to share with you uh, here in, the, in, this, in this book, I want to share with you men how to survive in a fallen world that is full of, of dumb taxes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 6, Solomon uh, told us and told the assembly, he tells us that, that evil people will prosper in this world. But don't, make, don't think that they are happy. Even though they are prospering, don't think that they are satisfied. Don't think that they are fulfilled. Don't think that they are happy with what's going on in their life. In chapter 7, Solomon tells us that, that suffering uh, may not be the worst thing that ever happened to you. Sometimes bad things are actually better for us. And then, and then last Sunday, Ethan continued uh, chapter 7 where we learned that, that we live in a paradoxical world. Uh, where there is there is uh, evil, but there but there is good. We are we are called to love those that, that that hate us. And and Solomon says this is illogical. But he comes to the conclusion that even though we live in a paradoxical world that doesn't make sense, what Solomon teaches us is this: it's okay to not know. Just trust the Lord. And here in chapter 8, he's going to tell us, here's how you stay poised in difficulties and how not to make a dumb decision. Now, the word poise, when somebody says, when somebody says the word poise, what does the word poise mean? Poise means to freeze and not be moved. Some of you have used the word posit before. The word posit is a truth that you believe, that you hold on to no matter what the circumstances are. And so Solomon here is teaching us how to be, how to have poise so that we don't shift during, uh, due to outside circumstances. Let me, let me give you another illustration. I know this is kind of a lengthy introduction to this, but, but I think this makes a really, really good point. Let me give you another illustration regarding poise, sticking to what you know to be the right thing to do. Everybody knows it is March Madness this weekend. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay, 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 that's fine. That means it's the NCAA basketball championship, and just to let you know, obviously some of you don't care, but I'm going to ask that you do care right now. <laughs> because at 6.10 this afternoon, I expect everybody in this room to be in front of their TV having a prayer meeting as my beloved Texas Tech Red Raiders play Arkansas Suey Razorbacks. Okay, Willis Hunter, you may be watching, you're a Razorback fan, but, but I want you to go watch them. Now, what I'm about to say is going to be the best pastoral advice I'll ever give you. If you have a problem today between 6.10 and 8.10, do not call me. <laughs> Are you with me? Don't do it. I'm not going to answer your phone call. Don't text me. I will be praying for those two hours, and I ask that you do that, but, but this is what poise is. This is what poise is. Imagine you are, and this is where Solomon wants us to, 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 to go with this, because difficulties happen in life, and so imagine that you're the best shooter on a basketball team, and imagine the game is coming to an end, coming to a close, and, and you are up by one point, and they pass you the ball, and you have an open shot, and you take it, you shoot it, and it's an air ball. 
And the crowd says, starts chanting, air ball, air ball, air ball, and they start getting onto you. Well, your air ball, let's just, for example, your air ball gives the ball to the other team, the clock is running down, and they go down, and it gives them the opportunity to score, and now they're up by one point. And your heart broke. Your dream of winning is going down the drain. But there's still about five, six, seven seconds left. You have the ball, and the next thing you know, the point guard finds you wide open, and they pass the ball to you. Now, what Solomon is going to tell us is this, is that poise is putting your past failures behind you, and that you are to do the right thing at that moment. So poise in this illustration of the basketball, and so any great shooter like I am would do the following. You would catch the ball, square your shoulders, follow through, and watch the ball go through the hoop, nothing but the net. And you walk off the court because you are now the hero. Why? You showed poise. Seconds earlier, it was devastation. The crowd is chanting at you, air ball. The other team is talking uh, smack to you. They're in your face, but in that moment when the ball was passed to you, you put everything aside, you did not listen to the outside circumstances. Instead, you did what you were supposed to do. This is what Solomon's talking about. Are you with me this morning? That is the longest uh, introduction to any sermon I've ever preached in my life. Watch this. Look at this, because this is for everybody. In verse number one, Solomon stresses this, and you want to write this down. Solomon tells us this, making wise choices, which means do the right thing, making wise choices will actually make you look better. It will make you look better. Now, you may think that sounds pretty shallow, that sounds pretty crass, but let me give you an example. Have you ever looked at somebody's mugshot before? They don't look good, do they? They look horrible. Why? Because they made a dumb choice. They're paying a dumb tax. And so physically, they don't look good. But Solomon says, if you make a wise choice, it will make you look better. Look at verse 1. Who is like the wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a matter? Look at that word interpretation. That's the Hebrew word pesher. And it is used here only in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, but it's also used in Genesis chapter 40 and 41 and in the entire book of Daniel. And this word, pesher, interpretation, it references dreams from God. It means, what is God doing? And so Solomon begins, he says this, listen, you need to be wise because not everybody's going to know everything that God is doing. Would you agree with that? That God does things that we don't always fully understand. Can I get an amen on that one? I mean, God does things and we don't always understand. We don't know what God is always up to. That's why you have to be very careful when you say, I've got a word from the Lord. If that word does not come from Scripture, you are walking a very, very thin line. Many believers today are struggling with that because several leaders 
prior to the presidential election said what? God told me, you know, right? God told me President Trump is going to become the president. He's going to win. What happened? Can I tell you what the scripture says about you if you said, I've got a word from the Lord? and that word was President Trump was going to win the election, do you know what Scripture has to say about you? You're a false prophet. And Solomon's saying, we don't always fully understand, and we don't know what God is always up to. The prophet Isaiah, God through Isaiah said this, my thoughts are not always your thoughts. My ways are not always your ways because my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are always higher than your ways. Job said this, who can give counsel to God? Do you remember that story? Remember, Job had been complaining and finally God said, Job, I've had enough of your complaining. And God says to Job, hey, Job, by the way, do you know where I store all the thunderbolts, the lightning? Do you know where I store the snow? Do you know where I store the rain? Do you know how I created the mountains? Do you know? And finally, Job has to say, God, I don't know. Who can ever give counsel to you? Paul said this, who can know the mind of God? Scripture tells us no one can fully understand the ways of God. Why can we not always fully understand the ways of God? And this is, this is something that, uh, that non-believers, I would even say atheists or agnostics would even believe, that, that they try to fully understand this God. But here's the reality. Our finite minds cannot fully comprehend the infinite. We are finite. There's a limit to what we know. But to God, there is no limit. Our mortal minds, our mortal bodies cannot comprehend immortality. We can't understand that. The only way that we'll be able to fully understand that is once we enter into immortality. I don't know if you saw this or not, but uh, uh, my family and I, we were, uh, I shared this with them, I think it was yesterday, uh, but there are some Russian scientists who said this, and I'm kind of paraphrasing this, they said that, um, that humans can reach immortality on this side of eternity. And the reporter asked them, when? They said, oh, in about the year 2600. You go, how foolish is that thinking? How foolish is that thinking? And Solomon says, listen, he says, men, humanity, humans, men, women, understand, you can never fully understand what God is doing. You never fully understand it. And so Solomon says, since you can't always fully understand, sometimes good things will happen, sometimes bad things will happen, but God is still in control over it all. Solomon then says this, look at the end of verse number one. He says this, a man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. Let me give you the Chris Winford translation of that verse. When you make wise decisions, which means taking the road less stupid, God will cause your face to shine. When you make wise decisions, listen, students, college students, junior high, high school, when you make wise, good, right choices, God's face will shine upon you. When you make wise decisions. Now, what is a wise decision? A wise decision is based upon the truth of God's word. That's a wise decision. 
When you make a decision based upon God's Word, that is a wise decision, and God will be faithful to His Word because He's already spoken His Word. And so that's what a wise decision is. It's based upon Scriptures. Solomon would write in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, he would write this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Turn over in the Old Testament. Go over to Numbers chapter 6. Go to Numbers chapter 6. Or scroll over, or you can look on the screen behind me as well. But in Numbers chapter 6, we read, and you know this verse. Some of you have it memorized. Um, but this is a priestly blessing. And listen to what it says in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. Listen to these words. And it reads, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face, what? Shine. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. This is a priestly blessing that the priests were to give upon the nation of Israel. And so you have to ask the question then, what does, what does the Lord makes his face shine upon you mean? Well, I, I think it implies this, that, and I want you to hear me out. I, I believe it implies this. You read this in Scripture. It implies that God's face does not shine on everyone. Are you with me? Nobody's with me this morning? God's face does not shine on everyone. Well, pastor, aren't all people God's children? No. We are made in the image of God, but once you give your life to Christ, you cross that line of faith, you surrender your life to yourself, and you give your heart to Jesus Christ, then you become sons and daughters of the King. Then you become a child of the King. But if you have not made a profession of faith, you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, let me tell you this, you are not his children. You're made in his image. He wants you to be his son and his daughter. But until that moment, you are not. You're just created in his image. You've heard this argument today. We hear it a lot that says this, you know, well, 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 God is love. And since God is love, his face shines on everybody. And God is love, this means that you can do whatever you want to do just because God is love. You can love whom you want to because God is love. Well, that's a half-truth, folks. That's a half-truth. Yes, God is love, but God is also truth. And if you take God's truth out of his love, it's not love. God can only be loving because he is truthful. And if he loves you, he's going to tell you the truth, which means if we love one another, guess what we speak? The truth. And we speak the truth in love. Are you all with me this morning? These are tough words, aren't they? God's face does not shine upon everybody. He shines upon those who are his sons and daughters and who make wise, good choices that bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. I believe this with all of my heart. If you want to have God's face shine upon you, then your Bible your Bible needs to remain open and it needs to be well read. It needs to be well read. That you devour his word because he has spoken. 
spoken to us. He is not going to speak in another, an, a, a, another writing. He's already spoke to us. And Solomon says, he says, men, those who are trying to make a name for themselves, those who are living in the world but want to do God's, live God's way, he says, you make the right choice. And I promise you, it's going to be better. Well, here's the second thing that Solomon says. I think is really, really a great word that we need to hear today. He says this, obeying authority will keep you out of trouble. Look at your neighbor and say, I never thought about that. (laughs) Wow, that's pretty impressive. It's the truth. Solomon says in verse number two, he's going to say, do the right thing. He's going to tell you to do the right thing because there's going to come a moment when all of us have to work under a boss that you don't like. My staff better not say anything. <laughs> You're going, he's going to say, there's going to be a moment when you live in a, in a country, a, a city, a region that it has bad leaders. But he says, you still need to do the right thing no matter what. Look at verse 2. I say... Keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Solomon is saying, you need to obey the king because he's under the leadership of God. Now, you need to understand this about, about the history of Israel in order for us for to fully understand this, this text. Whenever a Jewish king was anointed king, um, because, because what, what Solomon says, it's very visual for the Israelite people. It's very visual. So whenever a Jewish king was anointed king, he would do this, and I have a picture for you. He would stand between those two bronze pillars in front of the temple. Do you see those two bronze uh, pillars? Whenever a king was anointed, the king would stand between those two pillars. Now, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, those two pillars have names. The pillar on the right the name is Jaquin, which means God establishes. The pillar on the left, the name is Boaz, in him is strength. You got the visual? So the king would stand between these pillars that, that God establishes, Jaquin, Boaz, in him is strength. He would stand between these two pillars and he would take an oath before the high priest and before the people. He would take a note that says, I will obey the law of God. See where that comes from now? When leaders take an oath, typically they put their hand on what? The Bible. Do you see the visual? See the picture? So what they're saying, the king is saying, I'm going to obey the law of God, everything that is in that law. And the people who are attending this uh, anointing of this new king, they then would take an oath saying, we will follow the king because he's following God. He establishes and in him is strength. And so obeying the king was extremely important to God. Look at verse number three. Boy, I bet a bunch of you have a lot of questions going through your mind right now, don't you? We'll get to those next week. Look at verse 3. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. 
Do not join in an evil matter, for he, the king, will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? Verse 5, the first part of it says this. He who keeps a royal command experiences what? No trouble. Solomon is reminding us that we are called to obey authority. And he's telling these men, and he's telling us today, that we need not abandon that position, even if you have an evil king. He's saying, even if you have an evil evil king, he's saying to these men, I believe he's saying to us today, don't panic. Don't panic. I'll put it in the Chris Winford translation again. Take a chill pill. That's what he's saying. Relax. Aren't you glad the Bible doesn't talk about politics? Yeah. Yeah, right? For the Israelites to disobey the king was called treason. And just because a king is not doing what you think he should do, Solomon saying, don't be in a hurry to disobey. Now, where is Solomon coming from? Well, he's in the Old Testament. He doesn't know the New Testament yet. He doesn't know the grace that Jesus is going to bring yet. Are you with me? So what Solomon understands and what he tells these men is this. Guys, remember, every time somebody, and he'll tell stories, Every time a person in the Old Testament rebelled against the king, guess what happened to them? Do you know what happened to them? They died. Every time they rebelled against the king, they died. And so Solomon says, nobody nobody can challenge the king because he will do what he pleases. And so what Solomon says is this, it takes patience and it takes trust in God to submit to frail human authority. Amen? It takes patience. It takes trust in God to submit to human authority. There's a great example in the Scripture of trusting God, submitting to God, when the, evil, when the leader was evil. There's a young boy who was killing giants. And the king was going to palm readers. You know who I'm talking about? David and Saul. If you remember, there is a moment in David and Saul's life when David is on the run because Saul the king wants to kill him. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 10, we read of these words that David says about Saul, who was an evil, evil man. 1 Samuel chapter 24, 10 says this. David says this. He has just caught Saul in a cave. And he says this. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you today into my hand in this cave. Some say kill you, but my eye has pity on you. And I say this to you. I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord. Why? He's the Lord's anointed. What did David show? He showed poise. He did not allow outside circumstances. He didn't allow his feelings. He didn't allow his peers to make, help him make a decision. Instead, David chose to obey God at his law. Wow. Now question. Are there times when we are to disobey the king? You bet there is. 
Whenever the king goes against God's word, then we have to, our allegiance is to God, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's our authority. I mentioned this earlier during the welcome, but Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, verse 19, when the authorities came to them and said, you have to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They said, stop. And Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, says this, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, you be the judge. But as for us, we will not stop. We will not stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Meaning this, state, you cannot keep our mouths shut. Because we will continue to preach God's word. So yes, there are times when you are to disobey, but when you do that, we do need to understand that there will be consequences to pay. Everybody, does that make sense with everybody? There will be consequences, and and church, let us get prepared. Students, middle school, high school students, college students, I pray for you that you will be leading in a world that is extremely difficult. But I challenge you to stand firm to God's word. Do not move. Don't move from God's word. I don't care what your professors say. I don't care what your teachers say. I don't care what they teach you. You stand true to God's word doesn't mean you're mean to people. It means you love them even more. But students, you stand firm. Parents, you equip your son and your daughter to stand firm. You equip them. You read God's Word. You show them where to find Scripture. You equip them. You equip them with God's word so that they will stand in front of leaders and rulers and authorities. And as scripture says, God, the Holy Spirit, will give you the words to say, but you stand firm. You stand firm. And you speak the truth in grace and in love. Is anybody with me this morning? Here's number three. Here's what Solomon says. He says, have patience and don't be in a hurry. He says, number one, you need to to make a wise decision. Number two, you obey authority. And number three, have patience. Don't be in a hurry. Look at verse five, the second part of verse five. It says this, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. Verse six, for there is a proper time and procedure of every delight, though a man's trouble is upon him. What Solomon is saying is this. Yes, you can be concerned about the world. Yes, you can be concerned about an evil king. Yes, you can be concerned about those in authority over you whom you may not like, that you want to get rid of, that you want to do something different. Solomon's saying that's all good and well, but he says it's but know this, be patient. Be patient. Now question, why would Solomon, and this is, this is the word of God, why would he instruct us to be patient? Why would Solomon say, yes, I know you want to remove this, I know you want to do this, and you want to change this, you want to change this situation, you want to do this, you want to get out of here. Why does he say, be 
patient. Let me ask you a different way. Can God take out a wicked ruler anytime he wants? Absolutely he can. Can God change a situation whenever he wants the situation to be changed? Absolutely he can. Solomon reminds these men to take the road less stupid, knowing that God can change things in a heartbeat. Have patience. Trust God. Trust him. God is not confused at what's going on in our world today. He's not confused. He's not confused about the situation that you're in, whether or not you created the situation or not. Most of the times, we're the ones creating the situation that causes confusion. Amen? God's not confused. He's there. Be patient. Make good choices. Do the right thing. Now, jump down to verse number 12, and then we're going to be done. And everybody says, thank you, Jesus. Look at verse 12, and then we're going to be done. Verse 12, Solomon says this. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, look what he says, still I know. Here's his conclusion. One of his conclusions, and we'll see this later on in chapter 12. Still I know that it will be well, it will be well for those who do two things. What? Fear God and fear him how? Openly. Fear God and fear him openly. Fear God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Fear him openly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength in the public arena. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength at your work. Love him openly. Do not be ashamed of the Lord our God. Listen, do not be ashamed when the world comes against you. Do not be ashamed. Do not be afraid when you stand up for the truth and you are ridiculed. Do not be ashamed when others will criticize you. They will belittle you. They will turn their back on you. Do not be ashamed. Do not be discouraged. Because Scripture says all will be well for those who fear God and they do it openly. Do not be afraid. Because God is the one who is ultimately going to judge everyone. And so Solomon says... Do the right thing and trust, trust God. Robert Frost, who is one of America's finest poet, he wrote these words. I want you to listen to these words. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Any English major know what I'm talking about right here? Anybody know? Yeah? One of you? Good. (laughs) This is one of the greatest poems in American history. It's called The Road Less Traveled. Robert Frost goes on to write this. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. 
though as for that the passing there had worn really the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leave no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I should be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Church, I believe we stand at a fork in the road. There's two roads before us, and many of us, we're at that fork, and we're wondering which way we should go. May I remind you that the great leader of the nation Israel, Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24, he said these words, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose. You've got to choose the road. You have to choose which road you're going to go down. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Let me give you some other examples. Abraham chose the road less traveled when God said, leave your home, leave Ur of Chaldees and go to a land that I promised to give you. Joseph chose to go down the road less traveled when he, when he forgave his brothers for selling him into slavery. Isaiah chose the road less traveled when God said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. The disciples chose the road less traveled when Jesus said, come follow me. Paul chose the less traveled road when he chose to speak up for Jesus Christ when the authorities told him not to. And Jesus Christ exemplified the road less traveled. All of these examples I've just mentioned to you of choosing the road less traveled, they all chose it in the midst of a culture that had turned its back against God. We live in that same culture. And Solomon says to us, Choose wisdom, choose Jesus, and choose the road less traveled. Trust him, trust him, and he will make your face shine. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Father, I pray this morning that somebody would choose you for the very first time. I pray, Father God, that in the midst of difficulties and, and trying situations, that they would finally trust you, turn to you, either for the first time in their life. If that's you and you realize this morning that you've been trying the ways of the world and you realize that it, it, it's, it's not working, would you turn to Jesus? And here's why you should turn to Jesus, because Jesus ultimately gave his life up for you. He paid the penalty of your sin. He stretched out his arms on the cross. He was, side was pierced, crown of thorns on his head, and he took it for you. In order for you to turn to Jesus, would you just look to that cross? Say, Father, forgive me. I can't do this anymore, and I trust you. Would you come be Lord of my life? Come change me from the inside out. I choose the road less traveled. I choose your way. I choose the straight and narrow way. 
If that's you, would you just say this prayer in your mind, in your heart, as I say it out loud, you say it to yourself. Just say this. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me and coming to set me free. Would you come and be Lord and Savior of my life? I give my life to you. I give my all to you. Come now, be king of my life. If you said that, then the Bible says that that the angels in heaven rejoice because now you're a child of the king. If you made that decision, I'd love for you to reach out to me or one of the staff members. Let us know of your decision. There may be others here this morning where you're going, Pastor, I'm going through some tough times, but it's hard to make the right choice, but I choose today I'm going to make the right choice and leave it into the hands of God. Let me pray for you if you make that decision today. Father, for those who are choosing either Christ for the first time or or choosing to trust you in the road that they're going down in a difficult situation, Lord, I pray that you would honor their trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.